African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Yes, this is where you get the African perspective. Thank you for joining us on our shortwave service on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Remember, we're also on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And you can also listen to us on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, let's look at today's story. Uh, we are a week in later uh, trying to contextualize uh, the crime statistics in South Africa. We know there was a lot of international attention due to that. Last week, so South Africa's latest crime t- statistics, statistics rather, were released in the country and showing that the country's murder rate has increased by 6 In the last year, the number has increased to over 20,000 people who have been murdered, meaning that an average of 57 people were killed in the country every day uh, during the period of uh, the statistics showing from the 1st of April 2007 uh, to the 31st of March 2018. The statistics recorded the trends in violent crimes in the country, such as armed robbery, car hijacking, armed robbery, tax-related crimes and mob justice murders. One of the initial consequences we saw last week of these crime statistics released by the South African Police Service was the U.S. Department of State issuing a travel advisory to its citizens uh, traveling uh, to the country. Well, to try contextualize uh, the very, very complex uh, South African uh, crime statistics, we're joined by Dr. Andrew Fall, who is an independent criminologist and consultant at the Institute for Security Studies. We also have Dr. Chris Cock, who is an independent crime analyst at Crime Facts South Africa. And Vanessa Padiachi is joining us, who is from Operations and Advocacy and a lobbying manager at uh, NICRO. And uh, NICRO is a uh, uh, largest uh, non-profit organization specializing in uh, social crime prevention and offender reintegration. Well, let me start with you, Dr. Fall. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for joining us on the program. Thanks for having me. Now, let's look at what was the big story and the big scare in the statistics last week. It was the murder rate, uh, which we saw increase by 6.9%, as I mentioned in our intro. Uh, Can we unpack what this murder rate in simple terms, what it means for South Africa and why it has actually reached to this particular point? Um, well, firstly, I, I don't think there's anything simple about it or, sure. or a simple explanation, but it is certainly a concern. Um, murder is our most reliable crime statistic. Um, most murders are reported to police or they come to the, the state's attention, um, and murder is our best proxy for violence as a whole. So for every dead body, we can assume there are numerous other bodies that are maimed and injured, whether they are, whether those crimes and victims are reported to police or, or public health facilities or not. Um, and in that sense, it is very concerning that we're seeing this increase. We saw um, a, about an 18-year decline in murder, um, uh, a 50% a 50% decline in murder, 
up until around 20, 2009, 2010. Mm. And the fact that we've seen um, an increase since then is very concerning. Um, it, it, it speaks to uh, potentially the fact that we uh, have, have failed to stem violence in the home, that we're continuing to raise new generations with violence-supporting norms, and, and as a result, um, the, the, the tide that we look to be turning against violence turning against us again and violence is filling out again. Hmm. Dr. Dukok, Dr. Defoe rightly saying the fact that it's not an easy statistics to unpack in terms of understanding the reasons behind it. Um, but do we have any clues in terms of what are the socio-economic conditions on the ground that are spurring this murder rates on? Look, if we look at murder, there were various docket analysis in the past uh, even now, stats that they release, they, they mention some figures where these murders come from. But uh, if I look at the last docket analysis, it clearly indicates that in that period that they analyzed, which was about two years ago, mm. that about 55%, roughly 55%, maybe up to 60% of our murders are still domestic in nature. Uh, it's people knowing each other, acquaintances, friends, uh, family members, killing each other during arguments. And usually there, alcohol play a major role, alcohol abuse, and then also drugs. But then, um, then a, a, a rising trend, a trend which has increased incredibly during the past five, seven to nearly ten years, is actually more and more crimes are committed during robbery, especially robbery, other crimes, but especially robbery, and especially street public robbery, which mm. is not mentioned in the crime statistics. The police have just dropped that category totally. I don't know why they don't mm. refer to it for the last three years, but people are killed during that, and then a third contributing factor as a result of the street robbery is vigilantism. Now, vigilantism has uh, mob justice. Mob justice sure. has increased dramatically in the last seven years, or five years even, uh, from basically uh, 1-2% of, of all murders to 10% of all murders. I think it's actually now higher. So if we count those street public robberies together and... Uh, and the, Robert, the, the reaction of that, the mob justice, we, it will bring us to 25%. And those crimes are actually what I would call more policeable. It's more difficult to, 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 to police domestic violence. You can't be mm. in every home, sure. but you can patrol every street. Let me bring you in, Vanessa, into this uh, discussion and uh, uh, Dr. Dukok there giving us a bit of a nuanced response to the uh, patterns of why we're seeing such high murder rates in South Africa, highlighting the fact that the nature of murder is usually domestic in nature. It's usually someone that you know you can relate to and also citing the fact that alcohol abuse has been one of those, uh, um, you know, issues that spur on violence in communities and the rising trend of seeing more robberies uh, taking place and uh, these robberies actually being some of the causes of the murders that we're seeing. Looking at these particular stats, what are your concerns personally in terms of seeing where the numbers have increased and where they've dropped? 
Okay. Thank you, Benjamin. I think uh, it's very important. I've been listening to Andrew and Dr. Chris, and from Nicholas' perspective, I'm, I'm, uh, we can speak from a social work and more sure. psychological perspective. And I think, if, I mean, Nicholas, 108 years old, we've been dealing with people in prison for that length of time. And in dealing with them, we try to understand, okay, why did a person do this in terms of where did it start? How is it that, what is their background? You know, what, what kind of environment did they grow up in? And, you know, the common trends and indicators are always there. Fatherless, broken homes, violence, or even factors like overprotection of overprotective parents. And I think one needs to understand when you look at the complexity of crime is that you're dealing with human beings. And each one is unique. Sometimes we think criminals are criminals, but mm. yet each one has a, is a unique personality with a unique set of circumstances. And one of the things we do at NICRO is to do, you know, psychosocial assessments to try and understand the person so that we can begin to see what is it, why did you get this particular person and how can that be prevented? And I think those are incredibly important indicators for us to look at to see how we can, uh, you know, prevent people getting involved in criminal behavior. And when we look at, okay, robberies and murders and, and the domestic nature, I think you have to understand it's, it's how people are coping with what they're exposed to, not being able to deal with conflict, not processing trauma. And, you know, when you look at anger, anger is not the primary emotion. There's something underlying that that is fueling it. And if you see the level of violence we have, then you know it's actually an internal kind of explosive Hmm. Um, situation happening. So I think we cannot take the person out of what we're looking at when we're looking at crime stats and, uh, you know, criminal offenses and the way we label them because no one person is different. And I think we need to start looking at that complexity and how do we turn that around in terms of the human needs that is happening in our society. And I think sometimes we're ignoring that. We're thinking that being punitive and, you know, the heavy sanctions is going to change behavior and deal with the primary root cause of why that person is the way they are. Yes, I understand there's mental health issues. There's a lot of complexity in it. But we can't. We have to have a long, more long-term vision to also understand. And I'm sure I'm going beyond your question now <laughs> in terms of That's fantastic, what it's indicating sure, to sure. us. But it's indicating to us that we're not doing something right. Mm. Mm. And as much as well, we put our efforts into mm. boosting the budget on criminal justice prisons, mm. is it working mm. if we still, this indicator is still, you know, prevalent? So mm. I think we really got to ask ourselves some serious questions as to, and, and really deliberate around how we can turn this around. And there are people that are wounded, mm. hurt, there's things we're not dealing with as a society that we've got to confront mm. and start really getting to the issues. And, you know, I mean, when you talk about moral, morality and socialization, mm. it happens in a family. They are nucleus mm. of a society. Sure. And uh, I think we've got to go back there. That's uh, Vanessa Padiachi there uh, from uh, Necro. Uh, she's the operations and advocacy and lobbying manager there. We also doctor, have Dr. Chris DeCock on the line there, independent crime analyst at Crime Facts South Africa, and Dr. Andrew Fall, who is an independent criminologist and consultant at the Institute for Security Studies. Let's take a quick break, and we'll look at uh, the other trends that we are seeing. I want to look at provinces that seem to be dominating when it comes to these crime stats but we'll do that after this
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovu and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 19 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue, where from Monday to Thursday we try to contextualize the big subject matters on the African continent. Today we're looking at South Africa's latest crime statistics, which showed an increase of murder rates by 6.9%. And it's worrying because you're seeing 20,000 people dying over a period of a year. And this is 57 people killed in the country every day. Very worrying statistics. We've got Dr. Andrew Fall, independent criminologist and consultant at the Institute for Security Studies, Dr. Krista Koch, who is an independent crime analyst at Crime Facts South Africa, and Vanessa Pediatri joining us from NICRO. Uh, she is an operations and advocacy lobbying manager. Uh, Dr. Andrew Fall, let me come to you in terms of looking at uh, some of the themes that we saw dominating Western Cape dominated with this murder rate numbers. And we also saw uh, when it came to the stations dominating is also Gauteng. Uh, what is happening between these two provinces that we're seeing a continuance of these rates? Is there something about the um, population dynamics in these two provinces? And also, as was highlighted by both uh, uh, Dr. Krista Koch and Vanessa Padiachi, looking at some of these uh, uh, sociological issues that are involved. Thanks. Um, again, I think it's difficult to summarize. I think Vanessa and Chris have, have covered many of um, the primary explanations for why um, violence is, is localized in particular areas um, and, and what needs to be done about it. In terms of the Western Cape, where we see, um, I think, the highest concentration of violence and almost the highest murder rate. I think the highest murder rate might be in the Eastern Cape. But in terms of the stations that are recording the most numbers of dead bodies, they're localized in Cape Town. And these are often communities that have been historically disadvantaged. Um, mm. They're also often in flux. So um, communities might not be stabilized. People might be coming and going. And mm. There isn't a sense of social cohesion. Um, and and that can that can limit people's ability to uh, come together to help build safety uh, amongst each other. Um, but it, but it is very important to to note that violence really is very localized. Of course, we are all mm-hmm. at some risk. But to say that there are 57 murders a day is is an average. But the reality is there are more like 300 murders every weekend. And there are other murder, there are a few more murders during the week, and those sure. 300 murders during the weekend are in a very few stations. Just 30 police stations in the country account for over 4,000 murders wow. each year, which is quite crazy. Um, and so, really intervening at a multi-sectoral level, addressing um, social development, education, uh, family matters, and crime and security in those communities is is, is important. 
Um, Dr. Takok, you know, what I also saw is uh, township communities uh, dominating with these uh, murder rates. And uh, definitely that's not something to actually uh, run away from the fact that it's usually these township communities where you do have uh, a breakdown of this family nucleus that uh, uh, Vanessa Padiachi is highlighting. But also there's other socioeconomic issues such as unemployment rates that are very high in South Africa that could be contributing to um, uh, townships also being uh, the, the nucleus of where we're seeing these crime rates taking place? Yeah. Actually, if you look at the top 10 or the top 30, the police have published both of those or it was part mm. of their presentation. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's strange. There's one thing which is absolutely, and while I was in the police, I've now left the police for five and a half years and on, on retirement. I'm not part of Stat South Africa. I'm an independent analyst. But uh, by the way, if you look at the top stations, you will see it repeat each other every year. Mm. For example, if we look at murder, we find Nyanga in the first position. Sure. Then Umladi, then Philippines, then Inanda. But now there's differences between those stations. For example, Kailicha, we find in uh, position about position 7 or 8, Kailicha, that side B. And, and it's all in the top 10. And then Arari is at the bottom of the top 10. Now, if we look at those stations, you will find in a station like uh, Kailicha and Arari, you will find um, a high, uh, a high uh, there will be a high level of street robbery. High level of street robbery and then a high level of reaction on street robbery, which will be um, vigilante attack. I have analyzed the crime situation in Kailicha and what we found was that a third is street robbery, the result of street robbery, and a third is actually the result of, 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 of vigilantism. And only about a third is domestic, domestic in nature. But when you look at Philippi East, you will find a, a there especially gang. Gang violence also contributes a lot to the murders. Mm. So what you have is you have a layer of domestic violence, and I agree fully with Dr. Paul that, uh, you know, in the, in the weekends, especially over the weekends, from Friday afternoon to Sunday more, uh, actually early Monday morning, you find a massive increase in, 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 in murders and other assaults and things like that because of, of alcohol misuse. But that layer you find right through South Africa, in every little town, in every big city. And then on top of that, in certain stations, you have extra factors like the street robbery, like the reaction on that, and like mm. gang violence, mm. and like taxi violence. And that put then those stations in a, in a, up in the top 10 or the top 30. And, but what I also want to emphasize sure. is that of all these crimes, even carjacking, even street robbery, even house robbery, you find the same stations always in the top 10 or the top 20 or the top 30, which show me something is wrong with policing. Mm. Because you can't have boyfriends for the 15th consecutive year as the hijacking capital of South Africa. Mm. Because, you know, if something was done about it, it must go down on the list.
Let me take that to you, Doc. Let me take your concerns there, Dr. Tukok, back to Dr. Andrew Fall before I come to Vanessa. Uh, what are your thoughts there on what Dr. Tukok is highlighting in terms of the consistency in these trends, yet we are not seeing uh, crime preventative measures being taken when we already know the trends in certain areas? Um. I, I fully agree. I think it is very concerning that we've seen the same areas um, recording the same high rates of violence for many years. Um, I don't necessarily think that the solution to all of that violence is going to be policing. So hijacking, the example that Dr. Dukok gave, um, is a good one. Police should be able to reduce hijacking because hijacking is carried out by organized groups. Um, similarly, perhaps with street robbery, if, if there are patterns to street robbery and dangerous mm. areas, but um, the kind of the murder that happens within houses, that requires border developments from social development, from social workers, from public health facilities, um, and a more holistic approach. And ultimately, of course, we, we need to be able to ideally give everybody dignified lives, good employment, um, fewer reasons to, to argue and fight and uh, to, to uh, consume too much alcohol. Mm. Vanessa, you know, because it's so multi-layered in itself in terms of uh, what both uh, the doctors are highlighting here, what I'm also kind of dealing with in my mind is trying to also bring it back to just that family nucleus that you were talking about earlier on because I think all these things are, are kind of related in some way because it is people that actually commit murder. It's not something that is outside the reach of human beings. It's actually something that we commit ourselves as in our own communities and we can other it and make it about the other person but we can actually collectively take responsibility and say, okay, we are as citizens responsible for crimes in communities. Yeah. And definitely there is a breakdown somewhere that is actually making crime a necessity in our communities. Where are we getting it wrong from, from that perspective? Because definitely there is a space where we are saying in our communities crime is an alternative in some way. And I think, um, to answer your question, which is, I mean, you alluded to the complexity of what we're dealing with, and um, like asking the question again, but why in terms of these violent communities? We recently did a research study in Powell East in the Western Cape trying to understand why young children are getting involved in gangsterism. And I spent a whole year there just talking to people in the community and really trying to understand and even including government officials. And I remember asking a Department of Social Development official, okay, do you know the trends in this community haven't changed in decades? Mm. And what is your vision? I mean, how is your, what you're doing now, how is it impacting in bringing back these common trends of gangsterism, violence? And you know, it was a social worker, but she couldn't answer me in terms of vision. And I think I started my statement earlier with what do we envisage for this community? Are we just being reactive sure. in terms of how we curb it? Yes, I believe we need crime control, obviously, for the safety of the citizens. But like you said earlier, and I think Andrew said it, 
policing is just one aspect of it. What are we not getting right in terms of how we're impacting these communities? How are we actually changing those trends? And that we can only do as a collective. But what I find often is, and I found in that community, they were all the people came together, the different government departments, and they had meetings, and they, they talked together. But they went back and they did their own plans in terms of, yes, they went back, but when it comes to policing, what I found out, then you follow what you need to do in terms of your deliverables. You've got to look at arrest rates. Mm -hmm. The prosecutors got to look at prosecution and conviction, and then they mm -hmm. measured, and there's a political dimension to it. And then I understand I got frustrated attending those meetings mm -hmm. because it became the human factor suddenly got lost. When you say this is not on, people are dying. We have a crisis. Mm -hmm. It's an emergency if 20,000 people are dying. So for me, talking, that's something talking, and Nicholas Presley's talked about action. I mean, it can drive you to your heart. Just know that there's something we have to be doing that's different. And I think mm -hmm. the holistic approach that you talked about, we need to decide how we're going to change the trends in Nyanga and Kailita, for example, in terms of a long-term vision. And also what I find is community ownership is critical. Because like you said, it's all of our mm -hmm. responsibility to shape our country. And that means even the citizens, they are amazing what they do in their own communities. And yet they actually are not paid for it. Poverty is an issue. Mm. One man said he wouldn't deal drugs if he didn't. So we've got to, there's mm. socioeconomic issues. And communities need to drive and own this. Informal social control says that, you know, uh, Andrew, I think, mentioned it about building social cohesion. So it's families, it's building community. Those are the things we really have to invest in. And how do we do it together? It's how we treat one another as well. I find sometimes, you know, human beings need to be treated with dignity. Mm. And I know people would say, okay, we work with people in prison, but we treated them with dignity and it makes a huge difference in their lives. Mm. So it's just how we treat the other and how we start collectively saying, you know what, we're going to have to start building and doing some reconciliatory work. South Africa has a history of that. Mm. And that's the Nicholas very thing on restorative justice, mm. that we start looking at a different way, a different paradigm in which we start, we deal with this. Uh, because we're not going to just arrest people, put them away, and, mm. and that deal with our problem. I don't think that's working. We've got to really, really start getting to dealing with these root causes mm. and working together, planning together, making sure, okay, let's challenge ourselves as government and together. Let's look at Nyanga. Let's look at mm. the strategies and let's see how we can shift this and be excited about shifting that trend mm. rather than just focusing on the number of arrests and the number of... I know I'm making simplifying it mm. because there's incredible work being done in different spaces. Yeah, but we need to also maximize the efforts. What's working? What is the evidence showing that's working? And then how do we collectively do it? There's amazing. And the other thing about crime rate trends is we also instill fear in the hearts of South Africans, and we need to start instilling hope mm. that there's am there is amazing things happening in community. There mm. are some communities where the shifts have happened. There are people who have been rehabilitated, transformed, have come out of feminism. Sure. We have those stories, and how do we replicate how that happened? What worked? Well, the resistance from crime, what prevented them from actually becoming involved, or how did they shift? We need mm, to hear those mm, stories. Mm. Well, I need to take a quick break, and we'll be back and, and look at uh, some of these other areas in terms of how we can prevent things. Um, uh, 
when I was uh, listening to the Major General Norman Sukukune, the head of police crime um, research and statistics at uh, uh, the presser uh, last week, what was alarming was that he spoke that firearms were the most uh, used weapons in most instances to commit uh, uh, murders. And I was wondering how we as South Africa struggling with a gun control problem. But also, we're going to come back with this issue of policing. Can there be more done in this particular area? Because it seems every time a commissioner comes in, they always say the same, same things over and over again, but we never really find new innovative ways of dealing with these problems when it comes to crime, especially uh, when we're seeing these rates increase in South Africa. Let's take a quick break and then we'll have our final part of our conversation. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. 35 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Thank you for joining us. In 10 minutes time, we'll have our business news. Usani Matebula will be coming in to give us uh, that update and Fila Lingwati will give us our African sports thereafter. Uh, but right now, we're having our final part of this conversation with our guest, Dr. Chris Cock, Independent Crime Analyst at Crime Facts South Africa, joining us. Vanessa Padiachi joining us from NICRO. She's the Operation and Advocacy and Lobbying Manager and Dr. Andrew Fall is an independent criminologist and consultant at the Institute for Security Studies. We're trying to find ways on how to deal with this crime rate that we've been talking about in South Africa. It was a big international topic last week as well when the crime statistics were released by the South African Police Service. Uh, Dr. Krista Cock, what was also worrying was this issue of uh, that firearms were the most used weapons in most instances uh, to uh, commit murder and what was also alarming was the fact that uh, one firearm could be used more than once in an incident to commit murder. Is South Africa struggling with its gun control problem? Yeah, I clearly think we, we are struggling with that. Uh, and, and it's a fact that even street robberies, that uh, there was some analysis in the past, that even your common, your, your, not your common robbery, but your street robbery, is also... Uh, dominantly committed with firearms. So firearms is freely available. And what is more worrying, even if we go to certain kind of, of, of crimes like your CITs, which also doesn't look good. What are CITs? Can you just explain the CIT, to the listeners? The cash and transit, the okay, cash, cash and transit, transit crimes, yes. I mean, there, unfortunately, the most used weapon in cash and transit robberies is uh, the R5. Uh, and there are four, which are both uh, military weapons wow. issued to just the South African Defence Force wow. and the uh, South African Police Service. 
which means that we, we don't even have proper control over, over those firearms. Uh, so that is a problem, but if, if, I can, if I can in my time just suggest something, because sure. I've, I've listened to, to, to uh, both Melissa and, and uh, Dr. Thor, and, and, and I agree fully. I mean, most of our murders are generated by the socioeconomic uh, lifestyle circumstances. And I think that it can be addressed, but it will be addressed over a longer period of time. It, it won't happen today and tomorrow. And we are sitting with a crisis. And I think we, we can make immediate impact. It was done. It was done, uh, as Dr. Fall has pointed out, right at the beginning uh, for 15, 16 consecutive years from plus minus 2000, murder went down to 2012, 11, 12. And 11, 12, suddenly murder uh, took off, as General Minister Taylor has referred to. The issue is uh, the police has not even in this release of crime states referred to street robbery or public robbery which happen mostly in our mega townships and happen in the CBDs and in our city where people use mass transport, train, taxi, and bus. And, and that, that can be policed. So I think the fact that they don't even refer to it is really worrying. I think they should police. They should start to do visible policing based on clear intelligence. That is what brought down the murder figure in the past. And then um, they should also look at vigilantism. Vigilantism is a growing phenomena and it is causing murders. I think if they start with those and with the gangs and the taxi violence, I think at mm. least we can bring down our murder figure with 10, maybe 20%, 25%, and while we then pay attention to the domestic situation. Mm. Dr. Fall, your, your sentiments as we're about to wrap up the conversation as we were highlighting with Dr. de Kock there that there is still a problem of gun control in the country, but also policing as well still needs to be strengthened. Yes, um, I, uh, I have a negative reaction to the idea of guns floating around South Africa. I think we, we could and should have far more stringent um, laws and 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 guidance and limitations on who and when people can use and own firearms. We, mm-hmm. we also clearly have a big problem in terms of firearms leaking, as Chris pointed out, leaking from the South African Defence Force and the South African Police Service um, and not recovering those at a, at a reasonable enough rate. Um, I also do agree with Chris that we should be focusing uh, where we know police can intervene. So the, the long-term solution is going to be a long-term intervention. But we can focus. We can focus on particularly policeable crimes like street robbery and organised crime. But we can also um, focus where violence is most pronounced on different crimes, including, for example, domestic violence. If we can hold police accountable to protecting victims of domestic violence, of course, it's not easy. Victims don't always reach out to police. But we can begin to introduce better systems there so that we can disrupt violence before it leads to serious harm or murder. Um, and at the same time. Um, marry those police interventions with more holistic interventions to bring about faster change where violence is most pronounced, even if it's going to take much longer to heal society as a whole. Mm. Well, Vanessa, your final sentiments, you know, is there hope at this, 
end of this tunnel. I know that Dr. Chris also highlighted the fact that, you know, it's not going to just be a quick intervention. There's no one problem to fix all things or there's no one solution to fix all the problems. Um, but, you know, where we're sitting, we're sitting from a space of fear and maybe we're operating from a, a responsive and reactive um, uh tactic instead of finding uh, real rooted solutions to actually change communities from inside out. Mm. And I think I must, I do appreciate, uh, you know, what Chris had said about, um, I mean, you know, dealing with socioeconomic issues, they are long term, but, and you know, we need to respond as well now. But I think you do need that multi-level kind of you may have to be reactive, but I think in light of the vision and in light of a more proactive stance around it. So I really think, um, and I feel, I really, um, your sentiments around hope. Yeah, how do we, we have to build hope. And I think there are some amazing things going on that South Africans need to know about. And to start creating that hope rather than you saying, I think it's a very important point you make in how we react to fear, you know, when we're fearful. And the decisions and the choices we make are very mm. short um, and mm. not long lived. But um, but just on the point of policing, I think you asked the question: How can we strengthen policing? And once again, from a social work perspective, police are human beings as well. And we've done some training with police and interacted with them. We've even interacted, I think, in um, where was it now? Bishop Davis. We've been working with the police there. And I mean, the, the station commander said how demotivated the police are. They themselves have fear issues, trauma issues. I mean, policing violent crime is not easy. And we have to work with the workforce. And then police end up also, there's alcohol issues and domestic violence issues. But once again, why? And is it, is it, cope? Is it the issue of coping? Is it the issue of being more skilled in how they handle certain things? Yeah. I think we've got to invest in, in sure. the police as people. Mm. And, and also in terms of sometimes our approach in government is very top-down and coming from a human perspective as well. No one's motivated if they just told what to do instead of in being included in the solution. Mm. And the same as with community. So I think you can never leave the human factor out of any institution. And uh, that's where our answer lies. I think we have an incredible people in our, in our country with a heart to do and gifts to do many different things. And we need to kind of draw that out and make people flourish wherever they are, in policing, mm. wherever. And I think if we're motivated and hopeful, I truly believe we can build a South Africa that can be amazing. So, yeah, that's mm. my last bit in terms of how we go forward. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa, for that uh, hopeful ending. Um, that's uh, Vanessa Padiachi, who's joining us from Necro. She's the operations and advocacy and lobbying manager for that uh, non-profit organization that specializes in social crime prevention and offender uh, reintegration. Thank you to Dr. Krista Koch as well, uh, who is an independent crime analyst at Crime Facts South Africa. Finally, but not least, want to thank Dr. Andrew Fall also for being part of this panel. He's an independent criminologist and consultant at the Institute for Security Studies. Thank you all for giving us your multifaceted views on this uh, issue. Thanks, Thank you, Thanks.